One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Podcast from The Times. I'm Matt Chorley. This week, it's a Spin Doctors special, as I'm joined by three people who used to practice the dark arts in Westminster before they saw the light. I'm not quite sure what the collective noun is for a group of Spin Doctors. A briefing, maybe. A a spin. A a denial. Yep, let's go for a denial of Spin Doctors. So on the panel this week is Aisha Hazarika, who had the unenviable task of trying to make Ed Miliband and Harriet Harman sound funny. Katie Perrier, whose PR magic helped to get Boris Johnson into City Hall. And Sean Kemp, who knows more about Nick Clegg and the inner workings of the Lib Dems than is healthy. Each have written for Red Box this week on how they see some of the burning issues in Westminster today. And we start with Aisha and a plea to the Labour leader. The future of Britain's membership of the EU hangs in the balance and there's only one person to ride to the rescue and that is Jeremy Corbyn. He can mobilise his young supporters to this important cause while also bringing some much needed peace and unity to the Labour Party. Cometh the hour, cometh the man. Now Aisha, it's fair to say that up until now you haven't been the biggest fan of Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, and you've written you've written previously for Redbox uh, on on where he you might have said he was going wrong. So what makes you think that he's the man for the job? Well, I this has actually come about from lots of other people saying this to me. People who are actually great fans of Jeremy, people from all across the Labour movement, people who are really really worried that um, the Brexit race is getting tighter and tighter. And I think there is a clamour for somebody to come forward who doesn't either fall into I'm a kind of right wing Brexiteer or I'm part of the kind of rich man's club of Europe. And Jeremy is the perfectly positioned person to do that. He can make a very authentic, natural case for actually, if you want to reform Europe to make it more of a social Europe, you've kind of got to be at the table. And I'm worried particularly about there being great apathy about this uh, referendum because at the moment loads of people just see it as a kind of proxy for the Tory leadership contest. There's lots of, I think, kind of Labour people, there's lots of people in Labour heartlands that are probably quite unmotivated to come out to vote. And so I think Jeremy could sort of you know, be the kind of in- encouraging factor to get them out. The worry is if the vote is tight and there's a very low turnout, the worry is that there will be a kind of not proven verdict, which means the whole thing will kind of go on and again, on. Oh, please dreaded, no, please no, please no. What do you think it is that's holding Jeremy back from doing this? Is it is it because he's secretly a Brexiteer and so just keeping quiet is the best he can do? Well, I've been thinking about this. I mean, I can't really come to any other conclusion. I mean, I think he has now come out and done a few events where he said on the record, I want to stay in Europe. He did a big speech in Newcastle recently. But I think the thing is that 
because actually the issue of employment rights are really on the table, we know that if Britain comes out of Europe, they'll probably be one of the first things that will go. It will be called cutting red tape, but that is a proxy for, for, for cutting back on employment rights. So actually, this is very much on his territory and very much speaks to his values. So I think he's, I don't quite understand why he's been so reticent. He's, and it gives him a really good opportunity now to, to show some much-needed leadership in the Labour Party, something actually to get the PLP to coalesce behind him because everybody in the PLP is very much wanting. I mean, there's a few that want to go. There's the Kate Coeys, the um, Giselle... Um, what's her face? I can't remember her name now. Geezer Stewart. Geezer Stewart, that's are. the one. That's the one. That's the, that's the one. But actually, this would be quite a good opportunity to sort of get the PLP behind him. He's isn't he? I mean, every time you see Jeremy Corbyn talk on TV about Europe, he basically says the EU may be a vast capitalist, evil, multinational conglomerate. But I guess it better stay in anyway. And it's just like he clearly is deeply, deeply uncomfortable with the idea of talking about why Europe's a good thing. But why get involved? Let the Tories hang themselves on it. The more that the talk is about Europe, the more the Tories are getting split on the issue and kind of uh, showing that... The, the electorate that really um, there is a party underneath the kind of shine of David Cameron and, and George Osborne that's really divided on this issue. So if I was Jeremy Corbyn, I'd start to think a bit. Well, give them enough rope, they'll hang themselves. I don't need to get involved. But then there's a slight. There's, that is that is quite a spin doctory kind of thing to say. We are spin doctors. I'm now not a spin doctor, so I'm really virtuous. Country above. I'm really. Absolute I'm really. I'm, really, I'm like a Lib Dem now. I'm like basically really pious, basically. Yes, it's like it's country above party. I do think, so there is that argument about how, okay, let them sort of hang themselves. They are already doing quite a good job of that. But actually, I would I would argue that if we leave, there will be such a downside, particularly for people that have Labour values and for people that need those employment rights, that actually it won't be good enough, you know, from a Labour perspective. And I don't think automatically, if we, if we, if we leave, everybody will automatically swing to Labour. Uh, what about with your your spin doctor's hats on? How do you think the campaigns are doing, uh, Katie? What's your sort of take on how Leave are doing or how Remain I, I, are? I find it very difficult because the more um, people I work in politics, that people naturally will say to me at dinner parties or in a pub, you know, what do you think? Tell us um, how we should vote, Katie. And I say, I'm the last person. The more you read, the more confused you get. And actually, I think the public is even more undecided than when they started because I think that maybe people came from a very strong viewpoint as you know, I definitely want out of Europe. But the more they read the argument about why we should stay in the more they're wavering and vice versa so i think that we've left we've got an electorate that we've got a referendum in a couple of months time and they're really heavily undecided and i can't work out whether or not that means they'll stay at home and let the others decide and as you say aisha it's a really difficult position to be in because we could have no mandate for whatever direction we go exactly. in next and that is highly dangerous i think i think remain are doing okay like they're doing all you can really do which is just to have a series of scare stories about how terrible it would be to leave there is, there, there is basically no other option apart from that. You've got all this nonsense about, oh, paint the big hopeful picture. I'm sorry, that, that, that is not how you win elections. Ask the Conservative Party. You do it by painting a picture of fear about what would happen if they don't vote for your side. And I think that's pretty much all they can do. And they've done it OK. I think it's strange the way the some of the Brexit people always keep... They keep on complaining about this whole Project Fear thing. You almost want to go, you're just reminding them. Stop talking yeah, about it. Because it makes people think... Yeah, it, it, make, it just remind, it reminds yeah. people of it. The, the one thing is... We are, I think, a Eurosceptic country. And it's all right for David Cameron to now say, oh, the EU's great and, and uh, you know, all my Conservative or half my Conservative MPs agree with me. But if you spent the previous sort of six, seven years as he has basically saying the EU's terrible, it, to suddenly change your mind two months to go, is a, it's a bit of a push. So 
I think Remain are doing okay, but I'm slight as a sort of very much a Remain person. I'm I'm getting increasingly nervous. I I think all the campaigns have been pretty dreadful, to be honest. I think the Brexit campaign has had the drama of Boris and all, and they've got the better language. They've got like sovereignty and control and borders and all that sort of thing. But I think the Remain campaign has been pretty lacklustre. I think one of the big mistakes that they made right from the offset was they cemented this idea of it being a rich man's club very quickly by just getting loads and loads of big business and the Stuart Rose and all that sort of thing. And I remember very early on when we were having actually quite early shadow cabinet discussions, this was just after we'd lost the election, when we changed our position in the Labour Party on having a, a referendum. And in one of our shadow cabinet discussions, the, the conversation was, look, we, we should just lean into this and have the, 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 the referendum. But we've got to make sure that Labour has a distinct campaign and makes an argument speaking to kind of the, the working man and woman about why the EU is good for them, not just why the EU is good for their bosses. And I think that is what the, the Remain campaign really failed to do. So they've done lots of kind of cliched things like they've had you know a letter from 100 bosses mm. saying why the EU would be good for them. They should get like a letter from 100 workers as well saying why the EU would be good for them. Yeah, but you know, this is this is kind of the thing you always get in general elections where you get um, the Tories do a letter from a load of businessmen. I think Labour have tried a letter from a load of people who work at companies and one gets coverage and one frankly doesn't. I think the problem with the, the business letter was, um, which was obviously published in that great newspaper of the Times, I believe. Um, as all good letters are. As all good letters are, followed by like, <laughs> five days of follow-up coverage. Uh, was it talked too much about the big business? It didn't talk about jobs enough, actually. Well, I mean, exactly. It mentioned jobs. It's it didn't all actually, about, it's, it, it the didn't prism really is all it home. lots of kind of men in suits, lots, lots of big men in suits. That's what, the, that's what the optic has been for people. And the story also gets lost in the fact that you, you add in one or two people that didn't actually know they were going to be there on a letter. And all the coverage is after that is that... And that seems to happen every time there's one of these letters. every time. The, on the defence one, there were people who weren't supposed to be on it. There was a backing nightmare. Brexit one. They are a nightmare. Okay, okay, so have you have you yeah, got, have you yeah, put I, one of these I together? Probably all been involved. Isn't involved they're an absolute nightmare. You have people who they will only be on in a personal capacity. There are people who change their minds. There are people who you basically just get wrong. It turns out they left six months previously or whatever. Then there's the interminable debate about what the letter says. So in the end, it ends up being really bland. There's always really someone in the south of France can't oh. get hold of. And then and then you yeah. basically you get like a morning's coverage, and the other side just pile in and you just get, kick it to death. Exactly. So you get like half an hour of good coverage. And then you get like four days of fallout for people going, we, you spelt my name wrong and like, I, I, I'm never part of this. Should we agree for the Spin Doctor industry? We should have a union, by the way. Well, you should, should we should agree that we should have a spin doctor out. to sign a letter. It's a great idea. great idea. But the one voice who is very good on the EU stuff, which we need to hear more of, is Alan Johnson. Who but I his think problem is, is he's leading the distinct Labour campaign that Harry wanted. But he appears to be doing it in a cupboard on his own with no support <laughs> and no money. And and this is why the Labour Party oh, is it? But then he get... did have Ed Miliband. <laughs> r- 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 but that's why, why he actually needs Jeremy and the leadership to kind of send a signal to sort of beef up his campaign and sanction that they are behind it. I mean, I was at a trade union event the other night and there's loads of trade union people who are like, we want to get going with a really big campaign. But until the sort of Labour leadership says it's OK... We can't really do that. Well, listen, we can't uh, move off the uh, discussion of the EU referendum without doing the red box sweepstake, where I ask you to predict what you think is going to happen. I think the average of the prediction so far is about 52% for Remain. I'll tell you in a minute how you can send them in your own predictions. But let's start with you, Katie. What percentage of the vote? 58. 58. Remain in. Yeah, very good. You are allowed two decimal places if you want them. Do I um do I win any money on this? Well, we don't know yet. Oh, it, typical it's, conservative. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only interested if I win any dosh. You might, you know, okay. you might win. So, a... all right, fifty-eight point seven. Fifty-eight point seven. There you go, Sean. 
I was going to say 52. Now you said that's the average. I'll say 53. No decimal place? No decimal Just place. Just flat 53. Aisha? 55. 55. Very good. Uh, now, if you w- want to send in your prediction, you can do it by emailing us, redbox at thetimes.co.uk, or you can post your prediction on Twitter using the hashtag redboxsweepstake, and we'll keep updating it as we crawl ever closer to June the 23rd. Right, let's move on now, and Sean wants to talk to us about why politicians should stop listening to the people. <laughs> spoken like a true Lib Dem. Uh, Politicians have become terrified of making decisions themselves. From foreign policy to EU membership to who should be their party leader, they would rather delegate decision-making to party members or members of the public, online polls, petitions and Twitter. None of this increases our respect for politics. In fact, it just further lowers public opinion. It's time they started to take the tough decisions again. So, Sean, this is interesting. You you think that politicians (laughs) should stop listening to the public and just make up their own minds? Up to a point, Lord Copper. I, I, I think... And I really, the, the breaking point for me was partly for working the Lib Dems for so long, but also... Um, it well, was, that's enough to break it anyone. Was, it, was, it, was, um, it was the Jeremy Corbyn election, and it was the MPs who nominated him, despite the fact they didn't think he would be leader, just because they said, well, it's important to have a public debate. And I would find myself sort of screaming at the TV. <laughs> oh, he's going, just coming out in cold sweats, just thinking about it. In the, the whole point of having those sort of MP thresholds was basically to stop the incompetent and the lunatic from getting onto the ballot. Because essentially you don't trust your party members necessarily to choose the best person to be the leader of the party because they've not worked with all the politicians, they might not be suited to the compromises required and so on and so forth. And uh, that did enrage me. And it, I, I think it's a, it's a symptom of something we, we see quite a lot in politics. And we always have, but I think it's getting worse, which is I think politicians are always told oh, people are losing faith in politics, you know, it's not about the Westminster elite and so on. And now we end up in a world where our MPs are basically, the vast majority of them, they're glorified social workers. A good MP for a lot of parties now is somebody who just do this on their Friday and their Saturday, sitting on a little wooden trestle table sorting out constituency issues. And we never actually ask them to take tough decisions on foreign policy or on economics or anything, frankly. They're just, in a sense, treated as conduits. And I, I think increasingly... I, the other thing I sort of get enraged about, and I said in my, in my blog piece, is I look, look at question time and you see MPs sort of sitting there sort of slightly cowed as, as members of the audience sort of rant at them and, and tell them why it's all the fault of immigrants or banks or whatever. And I want MPs to start standing up for themselves a bit again. It's not that I want them to ignore the party membership or the public. I would actually want MPs to go, no, you know what? I stood for election. Tens of thousands of people voted for me. I have some opinions that I do think are of merit. And this is a principle of rep- representative democracy. And I and sort of stand up for themselves. So I, I have gone from being a Lib Dem where, you know, the tea order is voted on by the party membership to being someone <laughs> who actually wants the MPs to actually stand up and say, you know what? Sometimes we might know best. We've we've seen this even post Jeremy being elected to him running these online polls to see what party policy should be on things or what he should ask at PMQs or do you think do you think that's gone too far? So. I think that probably has gone a bit too far, but I was sympathetic to many Labour members feeling that they were very, very disconnected from what was going on with the leadership of the Labour Party. I think it's probably swung the other way where we're basically doing everything by committee. I'm surprised that list that got leaked wasn't put out for sort of, you know, an online poll, you know, before this actually sort of leaked. But um but I do have some sympathy. I think there's always the balance that needs to be struck. I mean I really have a lot of sympathy for what Sean is saying. But on the other hand, I think Labour Party members felt such a disconnect. I remember, take for example, like the 2010 general election, 
we've got a very laborious uh, policy making process which is sort of on the face of it meant to involve party members and we have this national policy forum and lots of people get involved and give up vast amounts of their time but actually when it came to it loads of members had quite good ideas that had we actually adopted would have put us probably closer to where the public were on quite a lot of things but all their ideas were kind of discounted at the last minute and the decisions were taken by a bunch of you know advisors you know in a sealed room so I think that's been happening for quite a long time and I think in the Labour Party that is why we've ended up going ending up in the place that we are I think we need to find a balance which gives your MPs the autonomy and allows them to be sort of grown up adults and have independent minds, but which also can, but who also consult and take the the membership seriously. Case, do the Tories have this problem as much? Because isn't it just more? It's more command and control from the centre, isn't it? Than it the is, but I think you're. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. See maybe a difference in the next future leader selection because it will the final decision ends, ends with the membership, yeah. um, which we haven't really seen before. I remember being part of uh, various different, working at Conservative Party Central Office where I'll be going around the country during the Ian Duncan-Smith and Ken Clark kind of husting debates. Um, I think Sean is completely right. I think I actually think the, po- the public is also over-consulted. Mm. And that sounds ridiculous coming from a consultant who goes out <laughs> consulting people all the time. But often I will be there in, a, in, a, in, a, in an event 
event and someone will say, well, that's what I let that bloke for. So you can go and do that. Why are you asking me? Yeah. It's almost as if, you know, we're asking you what you're going to have for breakfast before uh, you're going to get well, on with see, your day. I, I disagree with that. I actually think people do feel at the moment there is a sort of a zeitgeist which want, they want to be involved in politics. Not but aren't to the they just, aren't they just the, no- the noisy people? It's the same tens of thousands know. of people who I, sign every 38 degrees. I disagree with that. Yeah. I think there's, there's, there's some of those ilk, but I'd say there's a lot of people, for example, there's lots of uh, women who never, ever been consulted on uh, politics, who are really at their end of their tether now in terms of childcare and issues like that. They want to have much more of a say in, in public policy making. There's like older women that have got issues with... Don't you think they get asked all the time, though? And no, sooner or later, they, they, I don't sooner think... or later they say well, I want you to show me some action. And the reason why people are dis- disaffected and, and unhappy with politics is because they feel like they've been asked all the time, but they're well, not actually, a, not actually delivering. More, more con- consultation without the outcome. And you raise expectations. We ask the same people. I think we ask yeah. the same targeted mm. people yeah. over and over again, which is why they get annoyed. And there's actually lots of other people we could be asking. But I do agree with you. We ask a lot of people and then do nothing. Yeah. We do a lot of asking and let's have a let's have a dialogue or let's have a conversation and, and then there's no big brands do it as well so big brands do it it's not just politicians big brands go around the country spending hundreds of thousands of pounds consulting with people they, they've got actually nothing to contribute or nothing to promise <laughs> and yet they are giving all these, these great ideas back and they don't know what to do with them um, and they're kind of following the political lead and so I think that there's got to be uh, a time where you say right we are going to ask people we're going to try and go to all those groups that we, we don't normally get yeah, to yeah. and then we're going to do something about it or we're not going to do anything at all we're just not going to consult because what's the point raising expectations I'm, sort of, I'm always struck by when you have sort of consultations you say we're talking, reaching out to people you always i always sort of struck by the fact that the people who noisily want to take part in these things or sign the 38 degrees petitions and so on they don't really seem to express anything like the same opinions of politics as the people actually you see in focus groups who are the people you've actually sort of attempt a more probably representative of what the country as a whole thinks and look there is a balance I mean I, I sort of joke about the Lib Dems but the thing that kept the Lib Dems together in coalition actually was the fact they let their party members vote and whether to go into coalition and that's all everyone has sort of dipped their sort of sign the name in the blood as we always sort of put it but the, the other side of that is I mean look the Conservative Party members are going to choose not just the next party leader the next Prime Minister is going to be chosen purely by essentially a ballot of Conservative Party members it's pressure from Conservative Party members that mean we're having this referendum on the EU, which, let's be honest, is not sweeping the nation in some great conversation. <laughs> it's exactly the same people just talking about it. And, frankly, on foreign policy issues, like we'll probably never have a, a military foreign policy intervention again in this country because now the public always ha- is going to be consulted and listened to. They're never going to support any kind of military intervention. And that, that's done. We saw that with Syria. That's done. Basically because people who, at the time, let's not forget, supported the Iraq war have all now retrospectively decided that they all opposed it and knew it would be a foreign policy catastrophe from the start. So I, I think at some point we've got to ask, where's the right balance? And I think the balance is off. You really have torn up your Lib Dem membership t- card, haven't you? <laughs> I've still, got I've no still more got committees it. now. You're, you're, you want more advance. <laughs> <It's> extraordinary. <laughs> <You've> extraordinary. <changed. laughs> Unbelievable! Unbelievable. Uh, so uh, let's uh, let's 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 move on now to uh, politicians who do take decisions and do exactly what they like, regardless of what the public or uh, their parties might be saying. Uh, Katie, it's over to you. Politics is changing both here and abroad. As voters become ever more cynical, they spot a career politician spinning out the same old party lines a mile off, and they don't like it. They want something different and refreshing. They believe that no matter who gets elected, nothing changes. So whether it's Boris in Britain or Trump in America, they might as well opt for the most entertaining candidate of them all.
Now, Casey, you've got a unique uh, insight into this because you you helped create the monster that is Boris Johnson. When when he was the unlikely Tory candidate to be London Mayor in two thousand and eight, uh, you advised him on his PR and got him into City Hall. So, what has he always been like? He is now. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and uh, Boris got himself into City Hall. We just we just helped a little bit. But uh, it's, always been, it's always been like this. Uh, he's carved out a niche whereby there are a few things. We, we went out of our way to try and make him seem a more serious politician. We did some polling where people said that he was a great entertainer and great on TV, but not sure about being Mayor of London. So we worked very hard on producing some good manifestos and things like that to make sure that uh, he understood the nuts and bolts and got, got a... The, uh, the information right whenever he was interviewed on various TV and radio shows. But yes, essentially, he's always been um, uh, very different from any other politician I've worked for before him or since. Um, and he's unique and the public love him and they, they continue to love him even after being uh, eight years of mayoral team and mayor of London. They want to take selfies with him. They want to, t- to, talk, to talk to him. They want to, him to come along to, to various events they're doing. Uh, he's his box office. And do they want him to be prime minister? Because that's quite a big leap. Um, I would say that the public are earing to... I, w- I would have said no eight years ago. I would have said it was yeah. potentially that no, no for Mayor of London. I mean, we were... Everywhere we went as uh, PR people, people would stop us and say, oh, you know, so sweet of you two young ladies to go and work for Boris. He's never going to do it, you know. I've had a pound for every time someone said that. Um, and so on election night, there's a very loud cheer and it's mine over anybody else's <laughs> because A, um, we did it and no one thought we would and B, uh, I was on a bonus scheme because the Tories didn't think we were either and I got... <laughs> I got a new kitchen out of it, so it's brilliant. Um, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would have said no a few years ago, but I think now um, things have moved on, and I, I don't think it's impossible for him. I really think he's in with a good chance. How much damage do you think coming off the fence on your piece? Because he's gone from being it sort of repoliticised him, having been a sort of almost apolitical joker figure. Now there are at least half of the country on yeah. the opposite side to him. Um, I think that it's a last throw of the dice in many respects. Boris was in danger of coming out of the mayoralty and not really having much to do or much to get involved in. And there's nothing Boris hates more than not being in the centre of attention. So he threw the dice and thought, you know what, I'm going to give this a go. I've got at least half the country, give or take, on my side and probably a huge amount more of the Tory party membership. And therefore, if I need to rely on these people one day, I can at least say I gave it my best shot and and stood up for for their beliefs. But then in terms of the practicalities of you talked in your piece of Red Box about how you would tell Boris exactly what line he was supposed to do and it would all go fine until the end and then he would say the first thing that popped into his head and that would be the thing that ended up being the story. But that seems to work for him. It seems to work... I mean, Trump, that that seems to be all he does is the first thing that's popped into his head. Absolutely, and I think that they make for great copy. The journalists love them, editors love them, but also the public like to hear from someone who speaks genuinely, uh, even if it may be pre-planned and it may be prepped in advance, if they feel that it's off the cuff. I mean, I do lots of media training for clients, and I would see that um, they'd spin out the party line, and I would say, OK, but say that in your own words. How do you really feel? And they'd say something that wasn't entirely different. In fact, it was very similar. But it sounded 100% better because it came from them rather than being spun out. And I hope that... the they, the, the political parties will start to see a real change in what the public wants or what they don't want. They don't want spun out stuff anymore. They want people to, to talk from the heart. Cor- Corbyn is a, is a reflection yeah. of that, isn't he? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that Corbyn did so well. I mean, the very first hustings Corbyn did, this is before he'd even got on the ballot paper. It was um, at the PLP. And he was by far the most fluent, the most authentic. He was funny. Everyone else, all the other candidates sounded like they were like clinging on to the same hymn sheet. And jokingly, afterwards, you know, we all looked at each other, all the sort of advisors were at the back, and we were like, 
on that performance, he's going to win. Well, exactly. But you know, and uh, so I think there was, I think there was a lot in that. You know, I think I, I totally agree with everything that Katie has said. I think the public, and this is giving the public what they want, Sean. I think the public are sick of seeing politicians going on Question Time, going on the evening news, and just giving out the party line. They're sick of it. The yep. problem is the balance, and, and this is the thing I think politicians nowadays are really, really struggling with, which is people have got used to the the overspun lines. They know all the tricks and how you pivot onto the right answer and, and all the sound bites and so on. And people are sick of it, and they'll always say they're sick of it. The difficulty is you can do that when you're, when you're mayor of London. You can just all go out and say what you think, and you can have gaffes or whatever, and people won't care. You can't do that when you're prime minister. And there's a very good chance Boris Johnson is going to be prime minister. So he might actually have the skill required to be able to continue sounding unspun even while he's very carefully avoiding all of the things that could cause various disasters if he said them but that's going to be a much much trickier balancing act it's quite easy to be the maverick who just says what what he or she thinks when you're not actually given the responsibility of like a senior cabinet role it's when you're in those jobs that it becomes really hard boris has changed so um right at the beginning he would just say off the cuff it was our job to kind of it's like herding cats you know (laughs) it was just trying to get get it into kind of a box where we could say to the lecturer there you go vote for across on that and when i watch him on tv now and i listen to him on the radio he's definitely making sure he walks that tightrope while still trying to sound authentic. And that might be, his, I mean, that might turn out to be actually his great skill. He might be the first of the sort of wave of politicians who can be quite, in a strange way, rigorous about holding the right line, but sounding quite sort of genuine and unspun. Or it might all just fall apart around his ears, we don't know, which is why it's so interesting to watch. Now, Sean, your party leader has got the opposite problem, Tim Fowen, <laughs> leader of the Lib Dems, in that nobody takes the blindest bit of notice of him. Yeah. Most of the time, is there anything you can do about that? No, you can. All you can really do is keep banging away. I mean, it, and it's incredibly hard. I remember when I started to work for Lib Dems in two thousand and six, we had sixty three MPs, and it was almost impossible for us to get coverage then. And you just had to keep on sort of banging away and hoping for the issue to come along. You could sort of ride along, and that essentially is what Tim Farron's doing. I thought he did really good stuff actually about the um, immigrants in Calais, and he was the first one to go out there. You know, said all the right things. The problem was no one really listened, didn't really get any coverage. Labour did the same thing about a week later and, understandably, got a lot more coverage. It is basically Actually, they persistence. Actually, at the same time, because Charlie Faulkner went out. Yeah, oh, Charlie Faulkner. Tim, 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 yeah, Tim and Charlie, Charlie, Charlie were, like, chasing each other around. <laughs> 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 that was, that was weird. Was like, we've suffered enough. We don't need, like... <laughs> seriously, we don't need, like, Tim Farron. Tim Farron's <laughs> coming. Lock your doors. But it's, what can you do? I mean... You just have to basically hope for the issue to come. The one that we the Lib Dems all remember the issue of Hong Kong passports because this was seen as Paddy Ashdown's big breakthrough moment. She saw an issue that no one else jumps on, which is this issue of Hong Kong passports. Which I can't even bother to go into it now. <laughs> um, but that was seen as the way he actually managed to get some coverage. He, he, need to find, he needs to find. He needs to find thing. one. The problem is when you've got eight MPs, you know, no one's going to pay any attention, and that's that's going to be the huge challenge for Lib Dems is in any way seeming relevant. No, I can't let a, a uh, what do we agree it was a briefing. Uh, no, a denial. A denial of spin doctors go without. Um, I was going to ask you about your best and worst moments. I don't really want to know about the best because oh. they'll be boring. So just tell me. I, I want to know what's the worst. What's the worst thing that happened to you during your your spin doctoring days? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt, and being geared up, having prepped sort of three different scripts on the night of the election, none of them predicting a Tory majority, and then. Five to ten, the exit pool landing, and just the absolute shock of it, without a shadow of a doubt. Sure. 
it's not the worst in the sense the most serious, but it's still the one that makes me angriest, which was a story about Nick just after he became DPM, which was uh, a claim that he left work early because of when his uh, red box um, deadline was, when people had to get submissions in by. And I remember a big story that got out that Nick Clegg goes home at four o'clock in the afternoon or something. It got everywhere, actually got cut through. It was completely and utterly untrue. And it was the most powerless I've ever felt in anything <laughs> I've ever done. And it's still to this day, I will I'll be enraged whenever I'm reminded of it. Katie? Oh, uh, there's a couple. I think um, what springs to mind was when I was working, I was quite young. I was working for Theresa May and during her nasty party speech. And I, if you if you could, as a, as a human being, be pulled in two, uh, right in the middle of the, the Conservative Party, uh, the modernisers were pulling me this way, um, the right-wingers kind of were pulling me this way, and I didn't know whether to, you know, I didn't know what day it was. And I realised at the time, as she was delivering that it, that it was going to be big, uh, I didn't realise we'd still be talking about it kind of 10 years later. Um, but I was, uh, I was young, and um, looking back now, um, I think I could have probably done more to tell her that she was right, but she was delivering it probably at the wrong time. And the Tories weren't ready to have that. Uh, be told that yeah. whose idea was it was it your idea the nasty party god no I was oh. only kind of early 20s no oh, terrific school. no I remember going up and down the stairs with one draft and we were at kind of like 15 drafts and when I go downstairs they'd say no way this is definitely not and then I go back upstairs again and they'd change it and uh, it was just it was pretty chaotic um, I had a particular a moment that could have gone wrong with Boris uh, on the election campaign when we were in Romford Market and uh, all these snappers running towards me at, at pace and uh, I looked around and I said can we move on now please he said hold on a minute he doesn't like being told what to do like that you know can, can we move on a minute so uh, hold on hold on in the end I kicked him with my shin with my, my heel <laughs> so good that it drew blood um, he later said to me don't ever do that again but um, he said well, ouch and I said just move now and we moved away and uh, the snappers came, came running forward and said you know you, uh, you did really well there but we, we got away with not being on the front page of the Times the following day with a picture of Boris underneath erotic underwear stall. <laughs> <laughs> so I saved him. Saved I him saved by him. By cutting his leg. Exactly. Excellent stuff. Now, I still, the only other thing I wanted to ask is, do you know where the, the uh, Edstone is? No. Did you ever know where the Edstone was? We sort of tried to do... No, I was like, I don't want to know where it is, basically. <laughs> I, I I understand it's somewhere in South London. Is it st- does it still exist? I, I don't know if it still exists. Nobody's but you think like, it might? I think it might do. Nobody ever talks about it. Yeah. It's one of these things where you, you can tell when you're about to have the conversation, you go, do you know where they're? And people just go, don't, just, just don't, 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 don't talk about it. Just don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. How much is the Edstone worth now? Well, it must be going up. Ashcroft it must be going up. Good bid for it, he did. He? He did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the thing that made me laugh, did you see that thing last week that Tracy Emin married a rock? Yes. And I thought maybe if the Edstone was still single, I could get together with him. <laughs> 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 Extra stuff. Uh, well, thank you very much for, for all of that. You can read uh, the articles that um, the panel all wrote for Red Box uh, on the website, thetimes.co.uk forward slash Red Box, where you can also sign up to my morning email briefing. You can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes or on your Android device. You can get in touch by emailing redbox at thetimes.co.uk or find us on Twitter at Times Red Box and we're on Facebook as well. But for now, for Myesha, Katie, Sean and me, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.